This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Because we actually had foundational scriptures to start off this message. Was Psalms 91 and the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. When it talks about to everything there's a season and a time for every purpose unto heaven. You know, and, uh, and you've, if you've been in, especially these last few Wednesdays, uh, it was Minister Stinson and, and uh, also on Sunday, Minister Martin came back and was talking about, you know, uh, focused and undistracted still as our pastor has started the message of focus and undistracted. You know, it's interesting, and we're going to read Psalms 91, because I just believe God has been speaking to our hearts here at Church of Living Water, and it's actually for all of His children. But here at Church of Living Water, He's been telling us, you know, like last Wednesday, how to view our struggles different, how we're supposed to view them. You know, the way we're supposed to perceive our struggles and what actually God is expecting through our struggles. But in Psalms 91, it says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noise and pestilence. I'm going to stop there. What we have to focus on is the surely. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noise and pestilence. We don't need to actually focus, even though, even though that is coming, that's a distraction, the noise and pest, the, the, the snare of the fowler to distract us. He'll put whatever He needs to put in our way because He knows our flesh. As Minister Hill talked about, He knows what, that appe- what appeases our flesh. He knows what we like. He's a studier of us, just as He studied Job. Studied Job. He knew he knew Job. He knew what, what God thought about Job. And he, and he said, you know I, know, I know where to attack Job because, you know, the things that he does, his, his common daily activities. He, he knew Job. He knew Job, what, what Job would do, but he never encountered, he never thought that Job would stand the way he stood. So it's interesting how, through these last messages, you remember last week, Minister Stinson started talking about, about Elimelech in, uh, in, in, in the book of Ruth. And uh, Naomi, and it's so interesting. Like she starts, she was talking about the struggles and how it affects, like Elimelech's choice, and it affected his sons, it affected his wife, them to go to to Moab when they left the the place of bread. They left that place of bread to go to Moab, and it was affecting them. But I'm going to tell you, God knew He was going to make all those decisions. It was not a surprise to God. So not necessarily, you know. So does God ordain those? No, it's just like Minister Martin said last week. He has a plan. He has a plan for you. So you have to understand. Me personally, God is going to deliver us from the snare of the fowler. Surely, when we start thinking, because a lot of times we start thinking, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in, uh, under the shadow of the Almighty. And I, I believe this without a shadow of a doubt. If you have a heart to want to do the will of God, you're abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. See, a lot of times I think we try to say, well, am I doing this right? Am I doing that right? You know, and all of us, it's to the point of condemning, condemning ourselves. And they think, am I abiding? Am I abiding? And my thing is, abiding is continuing. It's going forward. Is it, you know, like with the Bible, like the song that says, uh, one thing of a desire, when it, when this song we were talking about, uh, I, I can't remember the words, it's lost me, but it talks about, 
I will see the goodness of the Lord. He says, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I like what that Psalms in 27 says, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So, all through all of that, if you read Psalms 27, he's talking about how God is going to deliver you in every season. And every season. He even goes to the season of death in Psalms 27. It says, when your, mo- when your father and your mother forsake you, then the Lord will take you up. And, and, it's, and it's continually telling us how God is going to deliver us. But he says, just wait. Wait on me. Now, waiting is a hard thing for us to do, especially when we're going through something. Especially because, you know, I, I, I would say to me, these last few months have been trying for me as it pertains to just personally things that are going on, just trying. But, you know, and, and you tend to ask, just like Minister Marm was talking about, why God and when? You know, why? why? And even though it's, it's so interesting, because I never, it, there was never a point of, I'm going to quit, or if you don't do this for me, this, or you don't, it's not, it's not about that. Because you're going to continue. See, that's he that abideth under the shadow of the Almighty. You're going to continue with God regardless. It's what, what did Job say when he knelt down in worship? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So my thing is God is going to bring us out of our struggles because he's expecting something. But my thing is this. With, with what kind of heart are you going to come out of your trouble? See, that's the thing about us. Our troubles should direct our heart differently. It should, our troubles should bring our heart out totally different. Think about it. When David sinned against the Lord with Bathsheba in Psalms 51, and I'm just giving you some, some, some different things that, before we go to the Scriptures, but when David sinned before the Lord, he said, Have mercy upon me according to your iniquities in Psalms 51. And he goes on, just, he, said, he, talks, and he talks about creating me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. And then it talks about, it continues saying about, then I'm going to teach sinners thy ways and transgressors shall be converted unto thee. He said, I'm going to have a change of heart through all of this. Because remember, David was God, a man after God's own heart before Bathsheba. But he said, create in me a clean heart. He said, I need a different heart. Because our troubles seem to bring out the things in our heart that are not right. And that's what, what, what you've got to understand. Like To me, when you read the book of Job, and this is what I want you to... Because many people have many different things. But really, Job is a conversation, a debate between God and His servant. Pretty much that's what it is. A debate between God and His servant. And, and jo- God was looking for a change of heart in, jo- in, Jonah, in Jonah, but He did not have it. He didn't have the change of heart. He came out of His struggle... But he had the wrong heart when he came out of his struggle. He had a heart that still was bitter, still was against what God wanted to do. And that's the thing is, our struggles, if we don't view them right, we're going to come out in the very end. Because remember what our pastor, founding pastor would always tell us? This shall pass. Things in our life are going to pass regardless. If you keep on living, things are going to pass. But the thing is, how you come out on the other end is how you actually stood in it. And what you were looking for. And what you were wanting out of it. See, that's the message we're going to talk about today is exactly that. How am I going to come out of my struggles? With what heart am I going to have on the other side? Because we were, it, it's already been prophesied to Church of the Living Water. You're going to come out of your struggle. You're going to come out of it. It's not going to be forever. But what kind of a person will you be on the other side? So are you sitting there knowing how to pray? 
knowing what to say to God, going, going to God, Lord, uh, deliver me in this and making vows to God and doing whatever you're doing and He brings you out and you're still the same person. And that's not what God wants. So I want you to go. We're going to go ahead and start off in, in uh, Jonah, chap- uh, the book of Jonah, yeah. The book of Jonah, chapter 1. And if you want to entitle this message, we're going to talk about avoiding distractions, our commitment to the faith. It's a commitment to the faith that we're going to talk about. And I want to read a few things before we read uh, just personal statements that I usually write. And if you can't, you know, of course, if you, you're not going to be able to write that fast. But I'm, not, I'm going to try to take my time. It says, the key to avoiding distraction is a true biblical commitment to the faith. That's the key to avoiding all distractions. It's a, it's a true biblical commitment to the faith. But the very thing that suffers when we're in a distracted state is our commitment to the faith. If you notice that we may not give up a lot of stuff when we're distracted, but the very first thing that we want to stop is our pursuit of God. The very thing that, 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 we, that we, let God, we let our distractions hinder is our commitment to what we're going to do for God. Those are the things, and, and those are the very, and the devil knows that. I remember we would hear time and time again, the devil doesn't care about your marriage. He doesn't care, you know, about whether you're going to stay single forever or you're going to have a, you know, a, a, your career. He doesn't really care about that. He just cares if, if that's going to be a hindrance to your faith. That's what he will attack. He doesn't care about those things. So you, know, you, you care deeply about them, but the enemy is like, I care less about that. I just don't want you to be committed to God and the faith. So, I could have taken a few different routes if you start thinking about this message. In this message, I could deal with the obvious. The obvious would be all the distractions that come up. Would be our marriage. Would be our finances. Would be the, our children. You know, God help us with our children. All of these different things, the things, the pandemic, all these different things that come up, natural things that distract the believer. And those things can distract and they can hinder your faith. But the thing that's not so obvious is our perception of the commitment of the faith. How we view it. What is commitment to the faith? Because if your perception of the commitment to the faith is not proper, you are distracted. Does that make sense to you? So if I have a, a view of this is the commitment to the faith and I'm being committed to this view and it's not the commitment to the faith, you could come here all the time. You can come to prayer. You know, you can do everything that we do. And, 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 and I'm going to tell you this. This is not a message for, 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 for the congregation, just the lay people. This is a message for me, every leader, every minister, because we have to guard our heart. Because at the very end of the day, when, the, when, when Jesus said, He said, many shall come to me in that day and say, in your name. We cast out devils. In many, in your name, we healed the sick. In many, in your name, we did many wonderful things. And he said, depart from me, you that work lawlessness or iniquity. I never knew you. But they were operating in some type of form of ministry. But God was not pleased with them. Because their commitment was not right. So, and, and, and the thing about it is, it's not a message of fear. It's a message because I believe that in our messages... Here at Church of the Living Water, we direct people to the faith. It has nothing to do... We direct it, but a lot of times in, in things that we do in the ministry, things that we're so involved in, things that we want to do, things that we want to bring to pass, sometimes we, we forget what commitment to the faith is. 
And we're doing all sorts of busy things, but we're not committed to the faith. And God comes to us and then we go through a struggle and a trial or a temptation and then that stuff starts coming out. But what about this? And why do this? And I do that. And God's like, that wasn't commitment to the faith. I needed something. Well, remember what Minister Martin said? God, his, what, what was that fueled Jesus in Gethsemane? It was His will. His will spans every season. And His will is a specific thing. And He tells us in the Scriptures. And He says, this is your focus. Do you notice that God gives a focus and He doesn't say anything? He continues to say, that's your focus. That's what you need to do. The focus is what I told you to do. And that's what you stay with. You don't go nowhere else. You stay there until I give you a different direction to go. But that's your focus. And actually, I'm going to be honest with you. God gave the focus of the church in the book of Acts. Period. He never changed from that focus. His will has been the same from the book, from the time that He, but the Holy Spirit came, His will has been the same. It has not changed. We actually, and a lot of times, we as Christians, we add-ons. We do, and some of those add-ons are not a problem because those are the things that we need to operate. But God has said, the commitment to the faith is just what I said it was. It was just the commitment to the faith. So, this is what I'm going to deal with in this message. The wrong perception of the commitment to the faith. Because that can be distraction because it hinders your progression. It hinders your progression in the kingdom of God. And when it hinders your progression in the kingdom of God, people are affected. All the time. When you're not progressing, like for example, when I'm not progressing in the kingdom, somebody's going to be affected. And you know when? You know when they're going to be affected. You know when you're going to, you know when you're going to realize that they're affected? When they're going through something. And you don't have the answer. Because God expects you. He says, be ready to give an answer to everyone. God expects us to have the answer, people. When people are going through trouble. Like right now, you can name all the people that have come into your life. Everyone outside. Now, I'm not talking about people in the ministry. You can give a word to people in the ministry. It's easy to give a word to people at Church of the Living Water. You can give us a word. Because you know you've been there and, they, and they're agreeing with you. Amen, my brother. Amen, my sister. But those outside of the ministry, those that you encounter on everyday life, what about those people? Do you have an answer for them? You know, and, and see, that's, that's where commitment of the faith comes to. He's expecting something. And ministry is not only within these four walls. Ministry starts here. Ministry is perfected here. Ministry will go forth here. But you are a witness. And that's what you've got to under. You are a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's something about a witness that you have to understand. So that's what we're going to talk. True commitment to the faith. Uh, in this message, like every message, you're going to have to examine your heart. And this is the heart that you have to have. I want to do the will of God. It's not, am I doing the will of God? I want to do the will of God. And what I mean say, because let's say this. You can be doing the will of God, but you still have to have a heart to do the will of God. Because you have to continue to do the will of God. So it's just like the distraction of King David. It was time when kings were supposed to go to war and he stayed home and he got in trouble with Bathsheba because he was not in a place where he needed to be. He didn't continue doing what he was supposed to do. So in the book of Jonah, my goal is here at Church of Living Water to, uh, to remind us at Church of Living Water what is commitment to the faith. And we're going to follow working examples in the scriptures 
about commitment to the faith so we can see if we're in a distracted state. And my objective is to deal mainly with the solution, which is obedience and sacrifice. That's the solution to a distracted state. Avoiding distraction and staying focused. It's just obedience and sacrifice. Now I'm going to accomplish that by the book of Jonah the prophet. And these are the three, three objectives, three things of, of, about that objective. What does a distracted state look like? What does that look like, a distracted state regarding commitment to the faith? How one gets out of a distracted state? And what are some results of being in a distracted state? Once again, what does a distracted state look like in regards to commitment to the faith regarding that? How one gets out of a distracted state? And what are some results of being in a distracted state? Let's read the book of Jonah. And, and we're going to read some verses. I want to read, maybe let's see. Where do I want to go? Let's just read to verse 6. We're going to read a lot of the Jonah, but not today. But I want to read to verse 6. It says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amati, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. And there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was likened to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. I want to stop there. So there's three important, important things that happened here. God told Jonah to arise. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. And he told him to arise. But Jonah arose to do something, something different. But then there came a mariner that says, Arise and seek God and call upon your God. And I want you to see this as a backdrop to what's going on at Church of the Living Water. We have been accounted, commanded to arise and build. We're being commanded to, you know, to do what we need to do. To raise up, you know, uh, and, and build in this, gen in, in this congregation to prepare the next generation. To, to, uh, 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 and we talked about our preparations. We've been talking about everything. We've been talking. God is actually commanded to arise for this season. And, he, and he's, that's our command. But a lot of us have risen up and we've done other things through times we, we should have been focused. But remember, going back to what I said, do you realize that these things come up in Jonah's life and people were expecting Jonah to arise and have an answer for these people? See, Jonah, it's interesting, and I was to tell you, as I read about Jonah, you know that Jonah, a lot of times, when you, we, we know that Jonah wasn't running from the call of God. He was already called. And Jonah was already prophesying in the book of Kings. He already was prophesying the son of Amati. He was prophesying. He had prophecy. And it's interesting that the book of Jonah is the only prophet that was sent to a heathen nation. No other prophet in Israel was sent to a heathen nation but Jonah. And Jonah, it's interesting that Jonah, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, 
But he wanted to conceal it. He's the only prophet that wanted to conceal the word of God that had come to him. And the thing about it is we do the same thing. The word of she got to understand about Church of the Living Water. You have the word of God in you. Your insecurities, your, our insecurities, our fears, the things that are going on in our life, it doesn't negate the fact or the truth that the Word of God is in you. God's Word is in you. The Word of God has come. It actually, you have understood the Word. You have come to the message. You, you've been AMC. You sit there and it's like, Amen. I, I, I'm enlightened. I see. I understand. The Word of the Lord has come to you. God's Word is in you. And God says, Arise. Arise and start building walls. Start, you know, for, you know, and walls are for protection. Walls are for a lot of different things. But you've got to understand, God wants us to fortify some things in our own life so that we'll be able to stand against any attack that comes against us. So in that, we've got to ask ourselves, what have I arisen? I have to ask myself, what, Rick, what have you arisen to do? And then if the only thing, and, 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 I, and I remember these things in our lives, in my life, it's interesting how certain things, even ministry, you can become comfortable in what you do in ministry. And God is like, that's only preparation, what I'm doing for you there at Church of the Living Water. I'm preparing you. I'm preparing you to do a work. Not, it's, the thing about it, you've got to understand, you've got to ask yourself, and a lot of times, why don't we? Why, why don't we do this? Or why? Don't, or why are we growing? Or why is this? Or why is that? And then you got to you got to ask yourself and then look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, why aren't we growing? Why? Why aren't we? Why? Why is? Why isn't our prayer groups only above fifteen to twenty when we have a congregation probably of a hundred and something people, two hundred? You know why is it when we? Because you it tells you how many people are in our prayer group. When you go, you're, uh, you're, you're there with 15 people, you're there with 20 people, you know. And, and think about it. What have you done to make that change? No, because Jonah was just interested in him. And see, that's what distractions do when you're not committed to the faith. Distraction makes you focus on you. And that's exactly what happens in our struggles. It's all about us. It's like, well, what about me, you know? And, 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 and the thing is, and God says, what about you? I've told you, I'm going to bring you out of this. I'm working on your heart. That's what I'm doing now. I'm working on what's going on with your heart right now. Because I need to change your heart. You need to see different. Think about it. The apostles were in Jerusalem. They had received the promise of the Father. They were doing what they needed to do in Jerusalem. And the only reason they got out of Jerusalem is because they were being persecuted. It's time to go. And a lot of times, God has to do... It's like this... When I told you that it was a debate between God and Jonah, Jonah did something. God said, I'm going to do something now because I'm going to deal with you because you are my child. You are my servant. I am going to deal with you. You know, and the thing about it, if you haven't walked away now, you ain't going to walk away. You understand? You, you, you think about it, the years that you've been at Church of the Living Water. And I'm not saying that you can't, but, but I don't believe you have a heart that says, God, I don't want to serve you. I don't believe that. I believe you have a heart that says, God, I want to. I know that I've sinned against you. I know that this is a struggle for me. But I don't want that. That's not what I want. This is what I desire. I desire to do your will. 
I desire to do what you asked me to do. I desire. See, I don't know about you, but when God saved me, I already had, even before, I can't, I can't understand why, but God was dealing with me about things because of my mother and because of other people that put things in me. He was dealing with me about people coming to Jesus even before I had made a commitment. And I think this, I think that I probably had, had understood the gospel and called upon the Lord, but it wasn't evident until I was 17 when I really called upon Jesus. But God was still dealing with me. I remember would walk in, in, in the, at a young age and uh, there was always a desire in me. I remember what Pastor would say. There was a desire in him to be in service at a young child's age. And he was sad when he was able to go to service because his parents wouldn't take him. God was dealing with him. And God was dealing with me. And I believe you here at Church of Live Honor that God always deals with you. He never stops. To, have you ever been like God? You know, you know, you know what now? You know, it's like it's like con. And the thing about it, even when you want to get in the flesh, after you get in the flesh, it's like you know that just wasn't right. You know that that's just not good. You know that that's sin. And the thing is, God is like commitment to the faith. That's where it stands. See, Jonah, Jonah made a decision, but after that, God, it was constant God dealings. With him, so I want you to go to book, the book of Acts, chapter one. So, what is commitment to the faith? And we're going to go off a, a definition that was given to us about commitment to the faith, because you know our pastor ministered about commitment to the faith, and it's to be sold out to the faith of God through Jesus Christ. Do you remember that? To be sold out to the faith of God through Jesus Christ. And it says, and I, and, I, and, I, and I wanted to be adding to that definition because it says committed to the faith is to be sold out to God the Father's work of salvation. You're committed to God the Father's work of salvation through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit of God. It's, the work of salvation is about the Trinity. They work together and they don't work apart. So God the Father's work of salvation through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. It is the work of God that He has done for us. Because there's a work that He's done for us. And then there's a work of God that He does in us. And then there's a work of God that He does through us. So the work that He has done for us is when He sent Jesus Christ. When He did what He did. The work of redemption. The work that He got done in us is when we receive Jesus Christ. He doesn't stop working. And the work that God does through us is through the power of the Holy Spirit. They work together. And the thing about it, our commitment is there in the book of Acts. And it's, it's the work that God has done for us, in us, and through us in our generation and in the generations to come. It doesn't stop. The work doesn't stop. That's why I can... And people ask, it's interesting, that the, I have such a great love for mom, for my mother, but it's, it's not... How can I say it? It's, people don't realize the impact that she's had in my heart. That's what people don't realize, the impact of what she's installed into my heart. You know, I sit there and I, I send people stuff sometimes. My mom and I, and it's interesting, I could start singing old hymns and she'll start harmonizing with me because she understands still how to harmonize. And she'll start singing those old hymns because those are the things. And I know a lot of old hymns, but it's only because she would sing them to me. The very first song that she taught me, I was probably about seven, eight years old, and I never forgot that song. 
It's just something, and and it's so interesting that the very first song my mother taught me is the actual call to ministry that I have. It talked about uh, about uh, uh, Nicodemus and and coming to Jesus by night, and and then that was the thing is my thing is are you born again? And it's the, just the call that drives me when I talk to people when I want when and the thing is it's the very first thing that she's taught me. And, and, and I was eight years old. And those are the impacts. That's why when people talk about, they don't realize, like me, for those that don't know, you know, through the month of December, you know, my mom got COVID. We were going through different things. I caught COVID. There was different things that were going on. And, you know, I thank the Lord that my mom was asymptomatic, never had fever, never had a, never had problem with oxygen levels. She just, because of her age, she just shut down as it pertains to just tired and sleepy. And it was like, and it was a period of over a month that we were in and out of hospital and, uh, you know, because of her levels, sodium levels, different things, just different things constant. And then I was dealing with what I was dealing and I'm like, my goodness. And you know what? To me, I told God, Lord, this is never, because I'm like this, I would rather you take my mom than my mom suffer. Even right now. Even right now, I say, God, and it's a difference because, you know, there's some people that have passed away. It's so much different when you lose a mother that's older than losing a mother that's younger. Because me, I, there, me where my heart is at now, I tell God, this is not about serving you. Because I'm going to serve you regardless. This is not about serving you. This is about... Lord, I want, and I said, I want you to raise mom up like Jacob so she can just bless her children and you take her. That's all I want. Because I think my mom has finished her course. I'm at the point in my life that my mom is going to be going, is going to go to the Lord. I don't know when. Do I, do I want it? No, am I, is that something? But that's something that I'm already seeing. You know, and am I, am, I ready, am I ready, ready for that? No, it's something that God is just preparing my heart for when she goes. But when she goes, I am going to be satisfied with my relationship with her. I'm completely satisfied. You know, so it, it, also, it all has to do with the commitment of the faith. This woman has been committed to Jesus since I was a kid. So that's to me, that's honorable. That's why I tell people, I, I take care of my mom and honor my mom because of what she's done. She stood. You know, I, I think about our pastor's mom. Raising children, all the children by herself, that's honorable. Not trying to find somebody, not trying to do what you need. And you know, have, have our parents made mistakes? My mom has made mistakes. But, I don't know them like that. All I know is she continued in the faith. So, the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to read eight verses when I get there. The book of Acts, chapter 1. These are the apostles. The former treaties I have made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, into the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, You have heard of me. 
For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days since. So the topic is, go to Jerusalem, you're going to receive the promise of the Father. That's, my, that's, that's where you need to go. You're going to receive the promise of the Father. Verse 6, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father had put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's the church's focus. It's to be a witness. But you notice how through all of that, he set the topic, the topic and the, and the goal and the focus was the baptism with the Holy Spirit, the power to become a witness. But they still had their minds somewhere else as it pertains to, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? And see, that's the thing is, I, I like this, it it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Seasons are going to come and seasons are going to go. You understand? Live in the season that you're in right now. Because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or the month after. You may be married in a month. You may not be. You may, you know, think, think about it. People, I, and it's not, me personally, you don't know when the Lord is going to call you home. We don't know that. Me personally, I, I want to live. But, I, you know, I tell people all the time and the people can say, well, they don't have any faith. They, this, they don't know what faith is. They don't know what faith is. But the thing about it is, some people have just, they go to be with Jesus and we don't even understand why. We don't understand. And you know what? You, you need to stop trying to figure out why. Because God is not going to tell you why. He's not. We don't understand why things happen. We just understand the seasons of life are not in your hands. Now, you can make preparations. I'm not, that's not talking about not making preparations you know, for what you need to do. And you should make goals and you should do whatever you have to do in life to get ahead, to do what you have to do. But remember, the season that spans every season. The, the, the thing about it is this. Commitment to the faith is an everlasting season. It doesn't change with your seasons. It does not at all. It stays the same. So that's what we have to remember because think about it. Whether you're single, you have to be devoted to Jesus. Whether you're married, as an individual, you still have to be devoted to Jesus. You know, whether you, regardless of whether you get divorced, you still have to be devoted to Jesus. You're speaking negative things. I'm talking about what happens in life. Those things happen in life. Whether your child grows up to do what you want them to do is not in your control. All you have to do is speak the Word of God over their lives and continue praying for them. You're not in control of what they do. You understand? You only can pray for them. See, what you're in control of is the God that you... Not, not in control. What you're in control of is the, the position you're in to call upon God. That's all you can do. And then trust. Think about it. I just... We have to be people that's this way. That we're trusting in God. As it pertains to our husband, our wife, our children, we're still trusting in God. Even when they don't do the right things or your husband doesn't act right or your wife isn't acting right, you still have to trust in God. You have to come to a place and say, Lord, I just... I don't... Have you ever asked God, Lord, 
I don't know how to trust you. How do I do that? What do I need to do to trust you? And God says, just continue. Just continue to hear my word. Continue. And the thing is, it's about the pursuit, about the desire, the want that changes you. The people that don't change is the people that don't want and don't pursue. And you think about it, we've all had the opportunities. Some of us have quit things. Some of us have, you know, continued. But you're still here. You're still here in a place where you can hear the Word of God. God, still, you're, God is still on your side. None of that has changed. So at the very heart of commitment is being a witness. That's the very heart of the commitment to the faith. Commitment to the, at the very heart of commitment to the faith is being a witness for of the Lord Jesus and for the Lord Jesus. And everything we do in the kingdom must come from that heart. So let's talk about a witness. A witness is an individual who, having observed something happen, they observed something happen or take place, are able to give an accurate and full account of what has happened. I like that because a witness is someone who, ha- who has observed something take place. They have observed something that has taken place. They're able to give an accurate and a full account of what has happened. They're able to give an accurate and full account of it. The theme of giving an account is important in, in, in evangelism. Which it rests upon believers explaining the impact of Jesus Christ upon their life. We have to be able to explain. So, why, you know, and we've been doing this for years. Have you noticed, this is the, 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 the uh, goal for becoming a witness. It's continuing to hear and continuing to stay in place and continue to observe and continue to grasp. You know, you know in the world there's an eyewitness and there's an expert witness. In the world there's an eyewitness. The Bible talks about eyewitnesses of the Lord. Eyewitnesses of the Lord were the apostles. They literally saw what Jesus did. But you know that we can be eyewitnesses, but in a different fashion. So, think about this. An eyewitness is someone, and I want to define it for you. It's a description given by someone present at an event. So, the very first eyewitness account that you have, it's interesting. You notice that we're, we're given sight at the new birth. We didn't see what the apostles saw, but we have insight to what they saw. You notice that the very first thing when you came, if you have given your life to Jesus, the very first thing you should have come to understand that I've been enlightened that there is a God. I'm enlightened that there is a God. Not that there, not that, that there could be because the, the enlighten, enlightenment in me has given that. I want you to go to the book of... Uh, the book of Matthew. So an eyewitness is a description given by someone present. No, the book of John, chapter 9. The book of John, chapter 9. And let me get there as I continue reading. John, chapter 9. Starting at verse 1. But an eyewitness is a description given by someone present at an event. And an expert witness is a person by virtue of education, virtue of education, training, certification, skills, or experience accepted by a judge as an expert witness. 
So it, it's virtue. It says, as a person of, by virtue of education, training, certification, skill, or experience. And I'm going to slow down so you can get those two because it's very important. So an eyewitness is a description given by someone present at an event. So they can observe something happen and they're able to give an accurate and full account of what? An accurate and full account of what has actually happened. An expert witness is a person by virtue of education, training, certification, skills, or experience is accepted by the judge as an expert. To me, there is an immediate eyewitness that is brought forth at the new birth. And there should be an expert witness that is developed in us. That, that, that takes the stance, per se, of the trial of your life and is able to, to, to properly convey who God is. Think about that. Think about an eyewitness. What was the very first thing? Let's read John chapter 9. It says in Jesus, and we're going to read John chapter 9. Let me get to it right here. John chapter 9, verse 1 through 7, and then we're going to skip to 15 through 25 because it's the same episode. It's interesting that I think the whole, this whole book talks about this encounter. But this whole chapter, it says, As Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither had this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must, the work, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Shalom. He went his way therefore and washed and came seeing. This is the blind man. So go to verse 15. Then again the Pharisees also asked him, so let me give you the, tell you what happened. So when he arose, Jesus was no longer there. When he came back season, Jesus was gone. And then other people started noticing this man is the same man that was blind. So the Pharisees come into the, the scriptures, into this episode. Then, the, then again, the Pharisees also asked him how had he, how had, how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay upon my eyes, and I wash, and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? Is and there was a division among them. They say unto the blind man again. What sayest thou of him? It's interesting. They continue asking this blind man. What sayest thou of him that he had opened thine eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked him, saying, Is this your son, whom you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means now he seeth, we know not. Or how hath he opened his eyes, we, not know, we know not. He is of age, ask him, he shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if the man did confess that he was Christ, he would be put to, out of the synagogues. Therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. Then again called they the man that was blind, and said unto them, Give God the praise, we know that this man is a sinner. 
He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that where I was blind, now I see. And the thing about it, our eyewitness account of Jesus is our sight. If you've been touched by God, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you should not see the same thing, the same way that you were seeing before. You know, have you noticed that people continue trying to live the way they used to live before? They didn't receive Jesus Christ as their Lord. It's impossible for someone, impossible for someone to have received the Lord Jesus Christ and not be able to see differently. They may, and, and, I'm, and you're, under, you're able to understand the Scriptures. You're able to understand, God, you can hear God. I remember at 17 years old, and I didn't, under, I didn't go around, I heard God. All, all I know is, I knew God spoke to me when He told me, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. When I was at a point where when I got up, and I tell people all the time, when I got up at 17 years old, the next day, the very first thing, and the devil wasted no time. No time to try to distract me. The moment I opened my eyes, it was like immediate thoughts. What did you do? What are you going to tell your friends at high school? How are you going to act? How are you going to, what, what about the parties that you were going to? What about all these different things? How, how about all these people? How are you going to respond to them? What are you going to tell them? And you know, being an insecure 17 year old, every, insecure, every child is, is insecure in some ways and forms of fashion, you know, but at 17 years old, I was like, my God, what am I going to, what did I do? In my mind, I wasn't saying anything to anybody around me because they knew I had asked Jesus and Christ into my heart. And it was evident that I had asked Jesus Christ into my heart. But it was interesting that I like, all I did was I went down and sat down somewhere and I opened my Bible. And the very first thing I ever read was, And lo, I am with you always, even into the end of the world. And it was like the peace of God came over me. And Monday morning I walked, and I didn't know anything else about being a witness, but I walked into high school with my Bible in my hand. And they were just like, what is going on with this guy? Did I have struggles being a witness? Yes, but I stood being a witness. I could, and at a, at a young age, I, just, I didn't know how to do a lot of things, but one thing I could say is I had a scene. I was blind, but I can see. And see, that's the evidence. And the thing about it, that continues if you notice. God gives you insight into what... When we start explaining the Scriptures, that's insight. The Bible says, if our gospel be hid, it is to hid to those whom the God of this world has blinded their eyes. But when the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ will shine in their heart, they see totally different. That is the gospel. It gives sight to us. We become eyewitnesses of what we happen. And God expects you to tell people about that eyewitness event. You observe something happen. You're able to give an accurate and full account. Nobody can tell your testimony the way you can. Not one person. Only you. Nobody can tell people how God delivered me when I was under the influence of acid. Nobody can tell people that. But me. I can sit there and say, I saw it happen. This is what happened to me. No one, can, no one can take away the things that God has done in your heart. And no, have you noticed that they're anchored there? Every time you're going through something, you go back and say, but God, you did this. And you did that. You know, so it's, it's like, you're my God. Only you could have done that. Then, but the thing is, he, there's an expert witness. If you start reading the book of, continue in the book of Acts, it says, and they continue together. Remember, 
And they, and, and they continued in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread. And, and you notice that the church started growing, but they started being developed as expert witnesses of the gospel. That's where the church comes in. Do you understand? I, I'm going to study this more, but you know, some people are just copy-paste Christians. Do you understand? They see something they just want to pay. But you know, copy-paste Christians are lazy people. When you copy and paste something, you don't want to learn it. You don't want to learn it. So, so let's, let's go back to next gen. You know, next gen, we've been given, we've been given these things for, for years about, about, uh, uh, you know, uh, what must I do to, 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 to inherit eternal life? There was, who is Jesus Christ and, and why should I believe in him? What does God use to show me that I'm in sin? You know, all these different questions about leading people to Jesus. And I will say this. If I sat down with all of you and gave you a test that said, you cannot, you cannot look at anything but tell me the answers to all those questions. It's been about three years, four years that we've been with us. But I guarantee you that you, some people can't because it's copy-paste. It's not necessarily where they're, I can understand this, I can flow with this. And that's expert witness. Through the training, education, experience, Skills, as you continue, you become the expert witness before the judge who is God. You, so I can trust you. Think about it. And uh, being a witness, there's more we're going to talk about. But being a witness, an expert witness, it's interesting. That being a witness is not just for ministers and, 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 and people. Think about, think about Stephen. Think about Philip. These people, sir, they, they did what they needed to do in church. But they went out and they worked the gospel. So it's interesting that the witness not only it's not only those that observe something, observe what has happened and are able to give an accurate and full account, but it also says a witness is a martyr. They're a witness of Jesus and they're willing to die for that witness. So that is where commitment to the faith comes in. It's in what are you willing to do to become a witness? See, commitment to the faith, uh, a witness is just the result of you being committed to the faith. But remember, at the, very, at the very heart of commitment to the faith is a witness. You cannot separate commitment to the faith from a witness from the commitment to the faith. Because without commitment to the faith, you're a lousy witness. Do you understand? You're not a witness at all. You don't know what you saw. You're trying to tell what other people have saw. But you don't know what you saw. Because you can only tell, well, so-and-so experienced that. But you don't have an experience of your own to tell people. See, that's a witness. But a witness is far, far, that, far from that. There's a witness of the love of God shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. See, and this is really what I want to get to. We're, we're not going to be able to get to it fully today. But we will get to it. And we will get to Jonah next week also. But... Think about this. Our commitment, the love of God, the Bible says to own no man nothing but what? To love. So, Sister Harris, if you gave me $100 to borrow, and I said, hey, two weeks later, Sister Harris, I'm going to give you $100. Am I giving you $100? I owe you $100. Do you understand? So, I don't give you love. I owe you love. 
Do you understand? You don't. You're not giving me love. You owe me love. Do you understand? You, I don't, the Bible says, "Owe no man to know to to owe nothing but to love." So you are, you're indebted to love your brothers. It doesn't say what they do for you or what they don't do for you. You're indebted to love your brothers. You owe them that. So every time you come to church, we have to, we have to see things differently. We owe our brothers love. Do you understand? We owe it. And we're being affected in that love. But there's so much to the love of God. I want you to go to the book of uh, Galatians. Is it Galatians? Let me see where I want to go to. 1 John. Let's start at 1 John. We may have some, a little bit of time. 1 John chapter 3. And what we don't finish, we'll go on next week. 1 John chapter 3, verse 7. I, do, I am going to get back on this next week because this is something that I really want to talk about. Is our love. How deep is our love for one another here at Church of the Living Water? I'll give you a better one. How deep is our love for one another when we leave the walls of Church of the Living Water? That is the question. It's not what you do here. It's what you do outside of this place. That's where the love... That's where people... What does people say when they come and visit? They really love. There's a lot of love there. Is there a lot of love here? Do we have that same love outside of this place? Do we look for each other outside of this place? During the pandemic, the relationships that we had before, did we maintain those relationships? Or did they go months without hearing you? All of those things. And you've got to understand, it speaks to me... We were we were we were we were uh, we were uh, uh, commanded, exhorted on every prayer meeting. Reach out to your brother. Reach out to your brothers. And you know what? Some of us and I and I say me too. We just got consumed with doing and you know dealing with mom is a constant work. But it doesn't stop me owing my brother what I owe them. Love is a debt you will never pay in full. Never pay. You will have to love always. You owe that. And what is your love like outside of these four walls? For your own people. Because if you can't love your people, why should God bring somebody here? Think about it. How can He, why, how can he trust you? The Bible says, too much is given, much is... But how can He trust you with true riches if you can't handle... What he's giving you right. The riches that are in your midst right now. So you got to ask yourself. those. I have to ask myself those questions. Because when I saw. We start thinking about people. Going through stuff in the ministry. And you got to ask. What did I do? Not what did ministry care do. What did I do? How was I there for my brother? You know. We talk about well. They're told, they give us an announcement, then don't do that because you're going to run, interrupt, interrupt with ministry. But think about this. No one told you that you can't reach out to let them know that you're there for them. Has somebody ever told you that, they, that, that, that you know, this is going on in my life and this is happening and this is going on and, and you say, my brother, I'm going to pray for you. When, you're, when, when we've always been told, if they need prayer, pray for them right there. You know what prayer right there tells them? I am for you. Yeah. 
And I will be here for you. And I will call you. You may not. And, and think about this. Our pastor has told us. We, 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 it's not always about meeting the need. You have to be led. But love is an always thing. You don't have to find out. Well, I have to be led to see if I can call them. To tell them that I'm thinking about them. You know, it's so easy, people. It's so easy to put prayers, prayer hands on your, on your things saying, I'm praying for somebody. It's so easy to send out a text and let them know, hey, I'm thinking about you. That's easy. You know, sometimes you don't want to call people and confront people because you don't want to probably hear, well, you know, there's some things going on. I don't know what to tell them. And you don't have to have the answer. You just got to tell them, my brother, I'm going to be here for you. My sister, I'm going to be here for you. And then follow up with that. So, you know, my brother, I was thinking about you. I wanted to give you a call to see how you were doing. And, and if they start telling you, man, this is going on. I had a rough day. My brother, listen, let me pray for you. My sister, let me pray for you. And I remember, you know, and I'm telling you, I, there's, there's times in, in that area I have failed. But I remember my brother, Brother Robert Moore, who went out to be with the Lord. My sister, sometimes I would just get up Saturday morning after prayer, take them tacos and sit with them. And sit, just sit. I know during the pandemic we can't do that sometimes. But you can't let the pandemic hinder you from what you can do. There's things that you can do. You have to get creative. You know, during the pandemic when things were going on, it was a blessing to have, uh, to have uh, uh, fuse. Uh, what am I talking about? Not fuse. I'm thinking about... Uh, I'm talking about the, the things that we do virtually uh, uh, through Zoom. It, I, just, I started having Zoom meetings with certain people going through just COVID because they could not. Well, of course, I'm not going there to pray for them. But, hey, let's just pray. Let's just talk. Let's just see what's... Because sometimes they just somebody wants to hear that somebody's there thinking about them. You know, I talked to somebody the other day and they said, we went through COVID in our church and not one person reached out to us. So now she's considering finding another church. And to me, she needs to find another church. Because somebody should have reached out to them. A whole month of them not seeing them, somebody should have reached out to them. And my brothers and sisters, I'm not talking about, well, I didn't know. You don't know. You can't do anything for a brother or sister if you don't know what's going on. I'm talking about when you have knowledge of what's going on. And you don't make it a point to reach out. And I'm telling you, sometimes it's just people with texting. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with it, but I'm saying sometimes people use that as a scapegoat because they don't... And I was talking to somebody because they love to text. I said, but sometimes it's not because, because you don't want to necessarily go into conversations that you don't want to have. You can control the conversation in the text. You know, you can answer what you want and you cannot answer what you don't want to answer. And you could even change the subject within a text. You understand? And it's just, some, it, it, it's just interesting how people are. But my question is, and we're going to read this, and then we'll get back to this. Let's read First John chapter 3, starting at verse 7. First John 3, starting at verse 7. It says, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth. I'm sorry, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. 
Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. And this, the, the children of God are manifest in the children of the devil. Whosoever doth, doeth not righteousness is not of God. And he that, neither is he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him. Because his own works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. So we know the witness that we have passed from death to life is that we have love for the brethren. And it's interesting how this passage makes, and I want you to read it, Deuteronomy chapter 15, probably the verse first seven verses because we're going to go to those. But it's interesting because I am out of time. It talks about the Lord's release. It's interesting how it says it because I believe it's talking about the year of Jubilee when you forgive them your, your brother and sister of their debts. But it's interesting it says this is the Lord's release. It's not necessarily your release because you forgive. He forgives us an account of Christ and we forgive our brothers based on the love of God. Based on, it's, it's the Lord. See, in and of myself, I don't have it to forgive you. In and of myself, I don't have it to release you. But since it's the Lord's release, I do it on His behalf. God has given me the opportunity to release my brothers on His behalf. Because He forgave me. Release them of debts. And, and not only that, it's to impart to them to come alongside us. And I'll leave you with this. I'm out of time. But the Holy Spirit is a paracletos. One called alongside to help. And if He's called alongside to help you, He is there for you to help your brother. He's called alongside to help your brother. He's operating to say, He's not in you just for you. He's in you for your brother. So I'm going to leave you with that and we're going to come back to this uh, on next week. You may stand to your feet. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.